bread. Hello. Good evening. Good evening. On a rainy evening. We've got to get this thing started because we have two chapters tonight. 11 and 12. So, we have been doing one chapter at a time the last couple of weeks. That was pretty good. But, the way that this kind of uh, goes together and narrates, it uh, just kind of uh, works together. You know, you look at that title, and it says Saul is certified as king. I'm not trying to make this stuff up, folks. You, you know, you probably think he's reading everything that's going on in the political realm, and it's like right up to the present day, it seems like everything that we are doing here. You know, Saul becoming king, and, and that's still the issue here. The jury's still out on Saul until we finish tonight's chapter here. Um, he's pretty well been nominated. He's supposed to be the king. But you'll find that he's not really the king yet because he's really out in the fields with the oxen or donkeys or what other animals are out there. A lot, a lot of animals going on uh, on this deal here and we've got that in there again. But anyway, he will be certified as the king what the really uh, really what the Israelites wanted was a king. They wanted to uh, get delivered from their enemies. That's why they wanted a king. And they wanted a king that would go before them in war. And get victory, of course. Uh, they want a king who's going to deal with Nahash and the Ammonites. Because see, out there on the horizon they could see there was going to be trouble coming and it was going to be the Ammonites. Just like, I know, here we go, just like here in America, who could be one of our biggest enemies? China, right? China's looming over the horizon. Well, you know, a lot of people are scared about that. The thing is, is that the Israelites were definitely scared of the Ammonites. And it looked like for real, that their days were going to be numbered. They needed a king, and what we get tonight is the proof of Saul's kingship is going to be clinched here finally, and Saul is going to prove that he's the king by successfully leading them into war. Well, that's what they needed anyway. Is that what happens in this section? Well, that's what we'll see. Let's... uh Go to the Lord in prayer. Father, great God, You are holy and You are worthy of all honor and glory. And Lord, You are in control of all things. And as we look at Your Word constantly, You're the one who is to get the credit for everything. And whenever we see You in that light, everything comes together. And we can see quite more clearly than a world that looks so dark. And so, Lord, we thank You for Your truth, and as we peer into it, even though it can be 3,000 years ago, it's right up to date with where we are at in this world. Your Word is never too old. Your Word is truth, and it fits all times. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, chapter 11 is going to be where the Ammonites are going to besiege Israel. It looks very bleak for this uh, area of where the Ammonites are coming. So we'll start at verse 1. Nahash the Ammonite came up, besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, I'll make it with you on this condition, that I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you. Thus I will make it a reproach on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Let us alone for seven days, that we may send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. Then, if there's no one to deliver us, we will come out to you. Then the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and spoke these words in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Stop there for a moment. The uh, army of the Ammonites surrounding the city, getting close to taking it. Sometimes you can besiege a city, it can take months. Uh, what you have here is that the Israelites realize they don't have a chance. I mean, they're looking at realistic things that are going to happen. So they try to make a deal. Some kind of terms of peace here. What can they pull off? They're willing to be subjects of the Ammonites. Now, it seems like they really have no choice thing is, if they had a king, and we already saw that previously, that he has been anointed by Samuel. He was recognized by the people to be the king, as they said, long live the king. He already has enemies that don't want him to be king. There's a lot of people who still are not convinced. And he needs to be certified. It's going to take something like this that will get all the people on his side and to be able to uh, overtake. Only problem is, is that these people don't go to him. If he's the king, why don't they go to the king? They don't do it. They don't go to Samuel. They don't go to the Lord. But who do they go to? The enemy. <laughs> they went straight to the enemy and tried to pull off a deal. It never works. wasn't quite good enough as a deal because it was a horrible covenant that the Nahash of the Ammonites comes up with. It's severe, isn't it? Yeah, everybody will lose the right eye. Well, that sounds great. I mean, would you want to lose your right eye? Well, that's what people did back then. Armies would do that. Number one, it was humiliating. Number two, it would leave them almost defenseless as being an army because if they still have their eyes, they can still at least see everything. But you take one eye out, now you, all your peripheral vision on this side is gone. And have you ever tried to shoot bow and arrow, you know, like with one eye closed and then, wait, if you, uh-oh, <laughs> Audrey knows what I'm talking about. I probably don't know what I'm talking about here, do I? Oh, yeah. You're pretty limited, aren't you? I'm Most people here are probably... You do? Yes. 
you have somewhat of something there. So it wasn't gouged out. But it's still kind of there. I bet you most people are wondering, what? What's she talking about? And actually, you are legally blind in one eye. Most people don't know that. Did anybody here know that? Half of us. It's not something you go around bragging about. Anita's that way too. Is that right? Anita is? I didn't know that. So anyway... It definitely limits you, though, doesn't it? Yeah, I couldn't get here. You wouldn't go fighting, right? Probably wouldn't have a chance. On one side, maybe you do pretty good, but then the guys come from over here. It might be a little difficult. Anyway, that's that's the deal. Um, anyway, they, uh, they take the message to the people, and chances are... They probably wouldn't care about J. Bash Gilead. You just, okay, uh, we got too many things to do. We've got a lot of farming to do. Sorry, can't make it. Uh, that's probably the case. Remember, you know, who Israel is. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, it says in verse 5, Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the ox. I find that interesting. He's been anointed a king and recognized as the king, but he's not quite the king yet. He was coming from the field. How many kings do you usually see out farming? That's usually not the case. They become king and they have people farm for them. They own all sorts of animals. But uh, they don't have to go out there and do that. They just bring it in for them. Well, so we see his status here. And he's with the oxen. And he sees the people weeping and, and sad and dismayed. He said, what's the matter with the people that they weep? So they related to him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily. Again, we see the Spirit of God come to Saul mightily. When he heard these words, and he became not just angry, but very angry. He took a yoke of oxen, cut them in pieces, sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. And the dread of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out as one man. He numbered them in Bezek, and the sons of Israel were three hundred thousand, and the men of Judah 30,000. They said to the messengers who had come, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you will have deliverance. So the messengers went, told the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. I guess. The question is this. What kind of a stupid army is going to make a deal and let them go ask all the other people if they'll come and help? Right. That's what I. That's what I uh, kept asking here. Why did the enemy say, "Yeah, you can go ask them." Go ahead him. and go ask them. Yeah. Why not just I, I, go I, in and I, gouge I, out the rice? I think they think they're much of worthless ones or something. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. You know, it might be like that, or they're so stupid. You know, I mean, some nations are stupid, aren't they? I guess. I don't know. I mean, we have a lot of stupid leaders in our nation. 
So I don't. It uh, it has not made sense. I've gone over and over that in my head, and I have not been able to get it. You know, I've looked at commentaries, and nobody says anything about it. They probably think, well, they're going to give it to all of them. Have a bigger slavery than going on. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe they have a definitely probably have a lot pride about who they are. You know, yeah, sure, go out out there. You know, yeah, they bring some more. We'll slaughter them too. I mean, they're very confident. I mean, the, the Israelites, though, as a nation, has been scared of these guys. That's why they want a king. It's really the real reason why they want a king. But they have who? God. Are they calling on God? Anyway. I wonder if the nations back then almost took war as a game. There's that one verse, or one part of verse, I don't know where it is, but it says it was at the time that kings go to war. And that phrase has often made me ponder. The, uh, yeah, the, 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 right, like in the spring or whenever, you yeah, know, it's know. it's now you can get out and battle. Time and, of year that, that kings go to war. And yeah. this is just the time of year this is what they did. I didn't know there was a time. Well, David, for instance, whenever he that's fought, it was the time of the year. talking about David. I, it was that, and he didn't go. That's when he messed around with Bathsheba. Yeah. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, it was a big deal. I mean, war was always happening. You know, it still is today. It seems to be quite the uh, quite the game, quite the sport. So, I mean, if you look at African history and even now the tribal tribals in Africa, they're, you know, taking one tribe takes over another tribe. Yeah. It goes on and on and on. They do things it? to humiliate, like taking out an eye and I mean, and it doesn't from one tribe to the next tribe. Wow. Well, that'd be humiliating. And you know what? I think that's the nature of man. Yeah. And we try to figure that out. Why would anybody take any joy in taking an eye out? Even my worst enemy. I would not want to take an eye out. I don't don't know what enemies I have. I'm sure I do. You know, I don't know who they are, but they do. You know, when you see it more and more, when you know, and you know that mankind is that way, but the more you grow in, in the Lord and know His Word, you start to see even more than ever before how depraved people are. The wickedness, and, and it's really ever-present now in our time that we've never even seen. We didn't even imagine how bad some people can be. They're supposed to be leaders. They're hateful. They want to kill. You know, sometimes I'll I'll read some of this and I'll think, and then I remember that 
That's human nature. That's the way way it is. And most people have the hardest... That's the hardest doctrine for people to understand. Everybody has some good in them. No man is good. Only the Lord. And it's really sickening. It's really sickening to see somebody like this Nahash, the ones that gouge people's eyes out and think, I'm just like him. Without God, I'm just like that. That's me. So we we can be. It's disgusting. Yeah. Remember what they did to, uh, oh, uh, back in Judges? Samson. Yeah. Yeah. Took his eyes out. Not just one eye. They got them both. Humiliating. They love to do that. Laugh at it. Make fun. Wow. I just just cannot understand. Then you watch these these TV shows like, uh, you know, where uh, one... You know, like okay, in a in a marriage, one spouse kills another. You know, and you see that over and over. Who's the first one they always go after? Well, it's the other spouse, and a lot of times it's right. And and it's like, how can they do that? These are people that they they married, and these are people that they said they loved each other, and and they shared their house together, and it's. And then we look at it and we go, you know, without God coming in our lives, we could be just like that. It's bad enough the way it is for Christians. Just just imagine yourself living with someone like Pelosi. I'm not going to imagine that. (laughs) Just not going to try to imagine that. Dropped it off. I dropped my mic. (laughs) I I dropped my mic. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Still running? Yeah. I think. Yeah. Okay. Now. So, uh, oh, where did we drop at here? Uh, did we get verse 10? Yeah. Huh? He was asking about, he was coming in from the fields. Anger. Anger. What was that? No, we read down past that. Through nine. All the numbers and the hot sun. Oh, yeah. Verse 10. Then the men of Jabez said, Tomorrow we will come out to you and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. So they meet together with him. And they say, we'll do this tomorrow. I'm also thinking, what's the enemy saying? No, we're going to do it today. Well, it's just like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. But anyway. The next morning, Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp at the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Then the people of Samuel, or, uh, the people said to Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring them in that we may put them to death our own people. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished deliverance in Israel. Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal. Renew the oh, Let's stop there. Actually, 1 through 13 should be part 1 of the outline, and I think I did 1 through 14. Anyway, I'll stop at 13. Looks better. Uh, Saul is angry. 
Saul is coming in from the fields. He observes the weeping. He's furious. And he wants to know what happens. He finds out. He says, okay. Slaughters the oxen. And he gives a message to everybody around. We're getting this together. You know, anybody that doesn't come, I'm going to take your oxen and do the same thing. What he's saying is, I'm going to destroy your tractors. <laughs> you know? And they go, oh. See, they're thinking, well, we've got farming we've got to do. I've got to stay back. He's saying, you won't be doing any farming because you won't have any tractors. Do you think Saul has talked with Samuel? Because here it says, whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel. But this is just Saul. I wonder where Samuel was. I think he's in agreement uh, you know, with yeah. Samuel. Samuel is, is the prophet. I don't see Samuel out there in, in his old age you know, fighting. But it's like, and, and this is, I think, a good mark of Saul here. We're going to see some good things about Saul tonight. Usually we have a bad image of Saul. Not tonight. Maybe later, but not tonight. Because you notice it's not that it's just him that's going out there. And when he's over through this, he gives credit to God. And so he's saying, this is Saul and Samuel leading this. And so anybody who didn't like Saul, they all they have to respect Samuel. And most people like Saul from what they've seen of him. They don't know too much about him. But they like him already. And so therefore, it didn't take much to convince the people of what to do. But he made sure that everybody's going to go. We need it. We need to do it now. Help us on the way. Uh, anyway, Nahash really thinks that they're getting ready to surrender. And sometimes besiegement can take quite some time. You want to maybe starve the people or make them thirst to death or whatever. You know, you wait and you wait and you wait. At this sense, now he's realizing, oh, it's tomorrow. Okay, we'll wait one more day. I don't know. He probably would have been wiser to go ahead and attack way back when. But that's not the case here. And they come out fighting, the Israelites do. And not only fighting, they have a crushing uh, victory over the Ammonites. No two of them were left together. You know, that's just mutilating them, destroying them. And so there's just a few of them left. I mean, what an overwhelming victory. Saul is an instant hero. I bet you he doesn't go back to the fields after this. Number one, he doesn't have any oxen. (laughs) But he can get all the oxen that he wants now as being the king. So... We know that it's you know it's one thing there for Saul to be among the prophets. Remember that story we looked at that last week, and he prophesied with the prophets. A most unlikely guy to do this, right? It's still another thing for him to be chosen by Lot. But when Saul is the one man who can assemble the whole nation and then go and defeat the Ammonites like that. Not everybody can do that, can they? He did. And this is proof to the people 
that He's the one. This is the one they want. And so now the people ask, who are those naysayers? Let's go get them. You know, let's get those guys. And this shows a character of Saul at this time that is quite different than what we would normally think. This, I believe, is one of Saul's finest moments as, as the king. And, you know, there he assembles the nation. But it's not so much the assembling the nation, which is quite a, you know, quite a thing to do, nor even winning the, this victory that is stunning. It's absolutely stunning. The Ammonites are going, whoa, wow, what happened? You know, uh, and the thing is, his finest moment is the way that he deals with his own people who had spoken against him. Which we saw at the end of chapter 10, didn't we? Where it said, verse 27, But certain worthless men said, How can this one deliver us? And they despised him and did not bring him any present. But he kept silent. And we considered to be these last week, Penny, to be what? The Democrats. <laughs> so Tony, are you following this here? The worthless man or the people that Saul and other people are they're asking Saul, let's kill them. Let's kill those worthless people. And they're Israelites. They're their own people. Saul says, no, no way. We're not going to do that. You know, they have a great moment. He doesn't want to dampen the spirit. They've, they've, they've taken care of the enemy. So Saul is absolutely unwilling to do what they're saying. He's stuck with it. And he's unwilling to even take credit for the victory. How do we know that? Yeah, in verse 13, right? Not a man should be put to death this day of our own people. For today the Lord has accomplished deliverance in Israel. Notice this. Make, make a mark on it. Saul is giving credit to the Lord. How often do we see that in Israel? Well, when things are going right, they say that, right? But Saul says this, and he's, he hasn't taken credit, and Samuel, he's getting the blessing of Samuel. Don't you know that Samuel prayed for them before they even went out? It's called trusting the Lord. It's simply what the Lord wants. It's called faith. That is the name of this whole game. This is our life. Just Trusting in God. But it doesn't look good. How can I just trust in God when the enemy is besieging us and the enemy is all around us? We don't have a chance. What does he say? Trust God. Trust God. Just trust Him. So, I think when you look at this, you realize that Saul had uh, quite the character. He was being led by God's Spirit. We saw that in another chapter where the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, that he prophesied with the prophets. And in you know, usually we're in the light of David when we see Saul being the wicked man that we all know to be. I kind of forget about this Saul. Seems like he has two personalities. It's just like whenever he became king, 
things changed shortly afterwards, didn't it? Um, you see, Saul actually is a gracious gift of God to the people because they shouldn't even been asking for a king because they already had it, but it was mercy, it was compassion by God to give them a king. It's going to cost you. Remember, remember that? You know, he's, that's been mentioned before, and we're going to see that again. Samuel's going to just put in another, you know, um, I guess you could say a rebuke to them. He gets them every time he can get a chance. You know. <laughs> we'll see him making that speech here pretty shortly. But Saul is not given Israel because God wants this man to fail. You say, okay, you want a king? I'll give you a king. And he gives him a king and his idea is that he would absolutely fail and Saul would do terrible, awful, evil things. Boy, I'll tell you what, Debbie, after looking at this, I have always thought Saul was not a believer. But honestly, I can't answer that. I really, all I know is that God gave a spirit to him to be able to do his job that he was sanctioned to do as king. That doesn't necessarily mean like, uh, you know, it's given the power, the ability to do it. Today, you know, we think of the spirit coming upon us and leading us. Well, we're believers, and he can only do that to believers. But at that time, he gave power to certain men as he gave them the spirit in that sense. But here I can see a man giving glory to God when he could have said, did you guys see that? How many of you guys could have led an army like that and put it together? Long live King Saul! You know? We don't see any of that at all. We see him siding along with Samuel, the prophet, maybe getting some wisdom, some insights. Later on, when we cruise through the rest of uh, Samuel's, we will see a little bit different of a Saul because of David. And, uh, you know, it's like maybe we'll get an idea of what happened. It's a good question, isn't it? Because I guess, I guess what, when it says, you know, like once the Spirit came upon him and then apparently it wasn't on him and now it came upon him again, whereas I've always believed that if you're a little elect, he seals you with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit stays with you from the time of your effectual calling. But, and that is true. But, that, but is, was that the case in the Old Testament? No, I don't think so. Because it's like... The Spirit's on him, not on him, on him, not on him, you know, as I read through this. Well, yeah, uh, you get prophecies of the Spirit of God, like in Ezekiel, for instance, and of course the um, uh, Pentecost is whenever the Holy Spirit came to the church. The Holy Spirit, just like Jesus was there in the Old Testament, so was the Holy Spirit. All three were there. And you see glimpses of them, but it's like the Holy Spirit only worked, didn't indwell in the people in the Old Testament the way He does in the Exactly. Today, He indwells us. It seems like the Holy Spirit would move from one and in and out. Back in the Old Testament, they should have been following God and His prophets. And yes, there's 
we see Jesus pre-incarnate, we see the spirit, but it wasn't until Jesus came, it's like, here's God, here's Jesus when he was on earth, then it's the Holy Spirit's time to do his work. Yeah, they, man they has... Yeah, it's the well, what do you suppose that little remnant was doing all that time? You have to have the remnant. Yeah, and there's always and they couldn't do anything without God's Spirit. Right. They have to be regenerated just like us. Right. They're saved by grace through faith. So right. the Spirit of God definitely worked there. And like you say, Christ was present in the Old Testament too, but not in his fullest. In these last days, he's revealed himself through the Son. God did. And then the power of the Spirit now resides in His people in a, in a fullest way. Compared to then, it was not in its fullest, but the, the Holy Spirit definitely is needed and He is throughout the Old Testament. Well, He had to be dwelling, indwelling that remnant. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they c- couldn't have they couldn't have followed the Lord without the Holy Spirit. How can they believe? How can they trust yeah. without the Spirit of God? It's but it, it's like it's a how can I say it? not in a lesser way, but it's not in its fullest sense. Well, because they didn't have you know, I mean at this point they don't have synagogues, they don't have any worship, they don't have any right. anybody to hang out with. <laughs> anybody they don't know who the rest of the remnant is. Yeah. Wow. They're but they're looking for the city, and they they it, like Hebrews eleven says, and that's what they're going to. That's what Abraham did, you know. And they were guided by God, and some like Abraham would have the spirit of God on him mightily, and you think of certain like Moses, and they were really empowered. And we know those guys are believers. Saul is a little bit different to me. It's really hard to figure out. Before I used to say, I don't believe he's a believer. And we know that uh, we see other men, uh, well, in our study of Judges, we saw people there, and of course what a... um, um, Samson was definitely a believer. God's Spirit would come on him to do his job. But it was like a lot of times the Spirit wasn't really leading him in a lot of other things that he did though. But he was a real believer. Uh, and I'm sure we could probably interview godly men, godly writers, and people that we'd respect. Half of them might say he's a believer. Half of them might say that he's not. But after looking at this, I'm going, there's a good possibility he really could have been. Well, you, oh, how about Solomon? Do you guys believe he's a believer? I do. But did you see what he did in one aspect of his life? It looked like worse things than Saul ever did. So, well, but then there was a pesky little evil uh, spirit that God gave Saul, and that's what certain things like that yeah. really made me wonder. Yeah. Okay, I could be a believer, and that be going on. Well, you but know what? God when, can do whatever what He wants. Jesus told <laughs> Peter, "Get behind me!" Right, Satan. right, right. So, yeah. but we know yeah. Peter was a believer. But at one point, the Lord told him. Satan. You're saved by grace through faith. And uh, so, with that, with that uh, question, 
We won't know till we get to heaven. <laughs> and we know a lot of people are that way, don't we? Yep. That's why we don't get to judge people. Yeah. Aren't you glad? Yeah. If I was judge, I would have said, Saul's in hell. Yeah. Really? I would have said that. I can't say that now. I don't know that. It doesn't say that from what I know. I know he's not in the Hebrews 11 chapter, right. though. I know that. There aren't too many of that that are in there anyway, but he's not a good example. After it's all said and done, let's just say he lost a reward. God supernaturally empowers Saul, and we know that God uh, is using that kind of thing because that's what he wants to do puts a spirit on him to enable to judge and lead with wisdom and, and power. So whatever weaknesses Saul has as a man, God here deals with supernatural uh, instance. You remember in chapter 10, verse 6, where he was called another man? He, it's like he changed. And to me, that you know, New Testament-wise, sounds like he became converted there. So that is something to definitely consider. It says the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. It shall be when these signs come to you then all the signs that were proven to him that you know God was making him king. And finally, God identifies, identifies Saul here in a way that um, no one but I guess you could say a worthless fool would deny that he is the anointed king and with what has happened. God has made this very clear. He's given signs. Remember all the signs that we looked at last week? There were three right in a row in one day there, I think, for uh, Saul and then other ones before and now other ones after that. It you know It's just so clear. And, you know, I don't think you would see God trying to sabotage uh, the reign of Saul by uh, making him do evil things, um, undermining uh, Saul. Whatever failures that he has, actually, is that he. There were t- many times that he didn't walk in the ways of God. Maybe many years, a failure to trust Him and obey. But God is gracious to us. God gives Israel a king. This king is not like the king of the nations. He's a king that is from the nation of Israel and he is appointed by God. And he's the finest human available for that position at that time. So it's not like he picks a loser for him. He picks the best. I mean, as far as what they would weigh in, so, uh, God's victories, he knows, are not his own. I think he's a good king here, at least to start off with. It's, I think it's proof positive of that Saul is the kind of king that they want. And there's a victory celebration here. It'd be like winning a Super Bowl. It's a great thing. And it got the people so uh, you know, engaged into it that they're ready to kill some other people. Their own. They don't want anybody against Saul. That's how big of a part that 
at his plan. We'll finish out the chapter. It's a renewing the kingdom. What's this? Samuel In verse 14, Samuel said to the people, Come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord God in Gilgal. Did you catch that? They made Saul king. I think it's official now. What is he? He's certified. <laughs> and we have no idea how long that took. <laughs> yeah. Might have been a little bit here. Yeah. There they are also offered sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So what Samuel does, uh, he wants to get the people again together. You've noticed this through Judges. Samuel here, this happens quite a bit when the people all get together. And they go to Gilgal. Have you heard that one before? Isn't it nice to take our study that was way back in Judges and then all the way through there and now in, you know, like you think of, um, oh, Joshua. We started Joshua, didn't we? Joshua, then Judges. And we keep seeing that come about. And here it is in Samuel we've seen this happen. He renews God's kingdom. And I really think overall, it's really, even though it is crowning Saul, I really believe it's about the one true king, God Himself, to renew the because it's an overall kingdom. I think it's that spiritual kingdom, you know, really, not just the little nation of Israel and that kingdom with Saul there being king, even though that's playing a big part here, but let's renew the kingdom that we've done before we even thought about having a king. Is that making sense? There are two strong reasons for that, and I think there's the overall message and emphasis of chapter 12, which, my, we haven't started yet? Okay, uh, the renewal is to take place at Gilgal. Alright, and it's not at Mitzpah. We've seen that before, but it, this is at Gilgal. And that is the city that is located just across the Jordan River that is on the... Uh, it's west of the Jordan River. Remember, as soon as they came in there, that was the place. It's a place where the Israelites first crossed the Jordan... And they entered into the promised land. It's a place where they had the memorial of the twelve stones. Remember that? That was at Gilgal. It was also a place where the Israelites were circumcised. And I'm sure the men would remember that one. And where Israel renewed her covenant with God. Joshua 4 and 5. It's the place where the angel of the Lord came to remind the Israelites of the deliverance at the Exodus. Their covenant with God. And I think that's quite the reason for all of this. And Samuel had this place as one of the three that was on his circuit. You remember those? Just a few, what, chapter 7, verse 16. And that's the place where Samuel instructs Saul to wait for him. And we looked at that last week in chapter 10, verse 8. Gilgal, that really rings a tune, doesn't it? Gilgal is a city and it's related to God's covenant with the people. Samuel says, I want us all to get together and renew the kingdom. It's not so much all about Saul. It's about God's kingdom. Now let's go into 12. 
No, because they really don't have a kingdom. Right. I mean, how do you renew the kingdom when they're, you know, if you're talking about Saul being king, he really wasn't, and there really wasn't a kingdom. Well, they were underneath the kingship of God. I mean, he was their king. Exactly. Yeah. But that was the—that's the whole spiritual. And that's why we can say that's what right. this is really about. Let's right. renew the kingdom. Right. To renew is what you're saying exactly. is how can you renew something that wasn't and there? Wasn't Saul's there, right? being king. Right. They never had a, that king, human king. But it's God renewing battles with His people again. Yeah, always it's always renewing, and 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 that means let's take our attention to God here as we coronate this guy. So Samuel is going to plead his case again, guys. What an opportunity. (laughs) He has made it very clear that he has not agreed with them wanting a king, a man king. And he's going to do it again. You've got to like this. And he's probably being led by God's Spirit because he's going to remind them what God has done and what Israel has done or not done. So Samuel in 12 verse 1 said to all Israel, Behold, now this is the renewal, right? I have listened to your voice in all that you said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. All that you said to me. Do you remember how they came to him? Him being a great judge. Probably the best judge they ever had. And they were more or less putting him aside. You're old. Your sons, we don't want. They're corrupt. We need a king. Well, he's going to get get them back here. You know, the, it, it's it's kind of one of those things. I believe it needs to be done, though. It's very forceful. Now here's the king walking before you, but I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. They're not. Judging, and I think he took care of them, don't you? It's not. And I, they were corrupt. And I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. Now look at how he pleads here. Here I am. Bear witness against me before the Lord. It's just like he's on trial in a sense. Bear witness against me. I dare you. <laughs> against me before the Lord and His anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I will restore it to you. They said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. He said to them, The Lord is witness against you. And His anointed is witness this day that you have found nothing in My hand. He didn't take anything from them. (coughs) And they said, He is witness. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought... I'm going to stop there. Let's just get that section. First thing Samuel says to the people is that he's listened to them and he's granted them for what they ask. He did it, didn't he? He didn't agree with it. He says, "Don't ever." It's almost like he's saying, "Don't ever expect this from a king." I did it. I listened to you, 
And I did what God said. Boy, that's pretty compelling, isn't it? I listened and I granted for whatever you ask. You get your king. Pretty amazing right there. Secondly, he calls attention to his age, which is what they said, old and gray, right? In chapter 8, they said that he was too old to carry out his task of judging, basically. If you look at the Supreme Court, how many people in there are, have been over 70, even in their 80s? A lot of them, haven't they? It's because why? They have wisdom. They have years. There's a reason why there's there. So, Samuel is not too old to carry out his calling, is he? Whatever that age was, he did it very well. All the other judges judged until they died, right? I think so, yeah. So they get the best one that they could possibly ever have and they boot him out. That's why they can take care of and that's, I wonder if that's what, what our Supreme Court judges were based on. Because right now it's their Supreme until right. they die. Right. Or they voluntarily step down, which there have been many that have done that. I've never known one to step down. There, there have been some that have stepped down because of health problems and other problems. Probably the, the good guys, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> way back, way back in history, not. It has to be way back in history. They get a pretty good salary. Huh? They get a pretty, and they get a lot of prestige. Good health care, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Samuel, first of all, doesn't defraud anyone. Would He would have said, okay, did I defraud anybody? You think anybody's going to say, yeah, you did. I remember that one time. <laughs> they didn't have a thing on him. He was pure as driven snow. Nothing you could get him on. That's hard to say today, isn't it? Uh, he's not judged unjustly whatsoever. He doesn't defraud anybody. Secondly, unlike his sons, Samuel never took any bribes. Oh boy. I wonder how many are taking bribes even in circuit courts just around our area, Supreme Court. Hmm. Thirdly, Samuel asserts that he has not oppressed anyone. Judges do that, don't they? He doesn't lord, lord it over anybody. He's a servant. He actually serves the people, and they know it. They're the best one that they could ever have had. And he comes back and, and reminds them of that. It sounds like he's bragging. You know, a lot of times when you hear Trump say, I've done this, I've done that, you know, and they were all, it was all truth. It was like, he, and who else was saying it? Everybody was against him. They were saying all the negative things, but he brought, he brought the taxes down, didn't he? And people felt that. Nobody could argue with him on that. You know, whether it be... or How about all those other things we could? There's promises. i got five minutes. But you guys get the idea. You, you guys get the idea, right? Right. Well, this is basically what Samuel is doing. Sometimes you just have to say, Hey, listen. Look at what I've done. You don't have anything against me. Trump made this the greatest number one oil industry nation in all the world. Jobs. But you never hear that. 
No, he, not as. But he would get up there and he would say that, and then the left would say, "Well, listen, he's bragging about it." <laughs> yeah, and that's what they do. He's, he's the only one saying it. And then you have Republicans say, "Well, I wish he wouldn't brag about himself." Whoa. Well, if he doesn't do it, who's going to do it? They're going to forget. People forget real easy. Samuel is the best that they ever had, and yet they were insinuating these things. And so he comes out and he says, listen, there's not one thing you can get me on and you know it. And they, they said, we know it. You're right. And then he sticks it in a little bit more. Because here we go again. The story. You know what the story is? It goes back to um, Moses. The Exodus. How often do we see that? All through the Bible. All through the Psalms, the prophets. Here we go. Samuel loves to use this in a shortened version. This is the novella. But it's not fake. Then Samuel said to the people, It's the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. We've all heard this, haven't we? So now take your stand that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord which He did for you and your Father. I'm pleading for God. Check this out, what He did for this country. People need to be reminded, don't they? They forget like that. Especially when things are going pretty good. When Jacob went into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. Look at this. Here's what we got. Nine. But they forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. Where are we at there? Is this Joshua or uh, Judges, right? They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, but now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jeroboam, here's the judges, and Bedan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around so that you lived in security. So he brings out what they need to bring back in memory. And you know what? If Samuel is found not guilty of all the charges, then who is guilty? Israel. He's just turned it back around. He says, I want you to think. I think he really hits them hard. They, they, they actually were making some kind of false charges. So, he's qualified to prosecute God's case here, isn't he? In these verses. Israel's history. The beginning of the kingdom God established at the Exodus. Uh, And they showed their rebellion against God all the way through. So that's where we're at. That's where Samuel brings them up to. And now... He's going to bring the king thing back into play. <laughs> you know, it's you know, it's like you shouldn't really be asking for a king. But God is gracious. Remember, He made way for it. So here we go, verse twelve. When you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, "No, 
But a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. Oh, this is the heart of it. This is why they wanted the king right there. Because of Nahash. Nahash is like like China. What a threat China is to our nation. Already has been. Would love to take us over. Nahash. He wanted a king because of Nahash. So now, therefore, verse 13, here's the king whom you've chosen, whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. But then he says this, now, okay, you got your king, here's what you have to do. If you will fear the Lord, serve Him, listen to His voice, and not rebel. Do you see that outline right there? Fear, serve. Listen, not rebel. Being obedient to the Lord. Then, both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. So, there's the blessing. If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. That he just pointed out. All that history. And he says, that's the same thing. It's still the same thing that's going on. Even now, take your stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. You know what? He says, I'm going to give you a sign. The Lord is going to give you a sign. Watch this. Even now, take your stand, right? Is not the wheat harvest today? The wheat harvest is during the dry time of Israel. That's what's significant here. It never rains at this time. It's like it never rains in Southern California, San Diego, Arizona, Nevada. It doesn't rain in the summertime. So, this is what he's saying. Isn't it wheat harvest? Yeah. I'm going to call to the Lord that He may send thunder and rain. Oh, really? Then you will know and see that your wickedness is great. If He sends that storm, you're going to see how wicked you really are. Why were they wicked? Which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourselves a king. Yes, God is merciful and gracious, but don't forget it. You're wicked for asking, and He is so gracious to give you one. Who? Samuel is really convicting them, isn't he? They cannot deny what he has said. He says, if this happens, you watch, and this is going to show how wicked and evil you are. You're sinful people. So Samuel called to the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. I guess so. It doesn't rain there at this time. Never. They know it. He just told them they are great sinners. And he pointed out the sin for asking a king. That is rejecting God. Well, how do they respond to this? Then all the people said to Samuel, 
pray for your servants to the Lord your God so that we may not die. It got them. The sword. Man, He just delivered the Word of God. And it penetrated their hearts. It really did. They're fearing now, so that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil. What evil? By asking for ourselves a king. It's almost like, we don't want a king. We want the Lord God. But, it's too late. God's going to give him a king. <laughs> he's merciful. He's gracious. He's compassionate. They're saying, we, you got to pray for us. How come they're not praying themselves? Because they're in such a sad state of sinfulness. He said, they didn't look that bad. Folks, we really don't know how bad we can be in our flesh. And that we don't know how bad and evil this world really is. You say, well, we're getting a good taste of it. We don't know the baseness of it. I don't ever want to know how bad it can really be. We're seeing it. We are seeing such... And we will see more and it will get worse. That's the Spirit. (laughs) (laughs) We are going to end on a good note. But God will protect His people. (laughs) And that's exactly what He does here. And they want an intercessor because they know they really need Samuel now. Samuel said to the people, do not fear. Isn't that always the way of God? You have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. He's always saying that. He's always pleading that, isn't he? That's so gracious. He should have just done away with them. Just burn them all up when they said we want a king. And Samuel stuck it in again. And I believe that he had to do it for them to see this sin before they can carry on. This is how they renew repentance. And so, he says, you must not turn aside for then you would go after futile things which you cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. They're empty. For the Lord will not abandon His people. There we go, folks. There's our good news. Isn't this great? Whatever things are bad, you've got a good God. He doesn't abandon us. And that's why I could say a while ago, it's just going to get worse. (laughs) But God is always good. It doesn't matter how bad it gets. God is good. And He will not abandon us on account of His great name. And that's the reason why. It's not because of their great name, but it's because of His great name. I love that. Because the Lord is pleased to make you a people for Himself. He's pleased. He rejoices in taking a bad group of people and being their God. Moreover, as for me, look at this, far be it from me, this is a golden verse here, everybody's heard of this, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. And that's what he's been doing. 
He's never going to quit praying for him. You know that? They ask him to pray. They, he intercedes. Boy, what a prayer. He says, only fear the Lord and serve Him. We've seen that how many times already in this passage. Fear the Lord, serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. You consider what He's done, how great He is, what His name is about. You know what? It's all a blessing. And then he finishes this though. (laughs) Only fear the Lord and serve Him. And then 25. But if you still do wickedly, it's a shame he has to finish with that. And that's what they always do. They go back to the curse. They want to live in the curse. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. Here's the deal. It's not if you have a good king, you'll have good people. No. Here's the problem with America. You have to have good people first before you get a good king. We had great presidents because we had good people for the most part. We are Sodom and Gomorrah today. Who are we to think we deserve a great leader that we've just had? We don't deserve a great leader. I'm talking on the nation as a whole. Okay, We don't deserve it. Do I want a great leader? You better believe it. But what if God says that's enough? We have three weeks for a miracle. It could happen. It could happen. It could happen. No, we've got three weeks for a miracle. But the whole thing is that we got to see the wickedness of Well, we don't have to see it now. Well, we see. We can the, wait another four years. We've been seeing all the wickedness in this country. Like I said, the set, all the homosexual, everything's just been falling and falling. And, and it's almost been hard to ask the Lord to bless this country because of all the wickedness that sits and 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 Well, it is the problem here. What with Israel and everything was their problem really political leadership? Evidently, that's what they thought it was. Now we know, looking at knowing they they had Samuel. No, they didn't have war the whole time Samuel was there. All they had to do was trust in God. He wouldn't have not. He would not let the Ammonites even destroy them. He was not going to let that happen. All they have to do is what? What what is it right here? Fear the Lord. Serve the Lord. Listen to the voice of the Lord. Don't rebel against His command. And He keeps repeating that. And you know what? At this time here, they don't look to their king, Saul, for deliverance. Who are they going to now? Samuel. Pray for us. It wasn't a political problem. And you know what? My, it's not a political problem here in this nation. It's the people. The thought of this world. Knowing at least half of this nation 
and the world. Has the church been the salt and the earth? You know, salt of the earth has it been the light of the world in the last fifty years? I don't really think it really has. I think it's been a little bitty little what a, a, a match light that's been on. We went along with, even though we didn't want to, and then the liberal world, it just went, I mean, the liberal church is the liberal world. I mean, they are, there's no difference at all. I mean, there's no Bible there. There's, there's, there's nothing there. There's no Spirit of God there. Which is what a lot of the people did oh, then to make them. They don't want to look foolish, so they go along with the stupidity. stupidity well, of, and a whole bunch of those people sitting in those churches didn't have a clue what they believed in. Right. Why well, just? Really, oh, there's a bunch still today. They well, don't know. They have like no idea. They go to church on Sunday because it's proper and it makes them look good. Because they're good people. They're good people. Yeah. You've got a whole bunch of people sitting up in Washington claim that there's yep. some religious thing like this, yep. but they're most... It's like, why would you even claim to about anything at all, except for they know that makes them good if they claim that tag. We were. I was mentioning the Supreme Court judges mm -hmm. that stepped down. Mm -hmm. The last one that did it was 81 years old, and it was done in 2018. Huh. Anthony he's somebody, Kennedy. He's somebody not too long. He, he was in bad health. And that was during President Trump's thing, and he stepped down so that Trump could appoint uh -huh. him for replacement. Still alive. So he's waiting. Hmm? He's, still alive. he's still alive. He's waiting for the right person to be there. <laughs> so he could leave. He was 81 years old in 2018. So many of those judges have that uh, have that wisdom that they carry along with them, but. The thing is, if it's not God's wisdom, uh, it really doesn't matter how old or how young you are, right? Well, yeah, but like if they wait, but they they want to walk, they want to leave, but they wait till time is right. <laughs> That's you know, can, you know, we look at this passage. Here, yeah. We look at this passage here tonight, and I'm going. This three thousand years ago is as current to each one of us, the church today, the world today, as it could ever be. It's like on the front. Page, you know, it's just like God exposes the real problem here. It was their sin, and they finally realized it was their sin, and they weren't going to go any further. They weren't going to have him as king until they saw that. See, and I can see that happening when it's too late, like yeah. it was for them. It's yeah. too late. Well, did people are going to wake up, but it's yeah. going to be too late. But right. Still turn to the Lord and sometimes, couldn't we also define a sin problem in secular terms? We can see in you know, all of those things, but then when you see it in a spiritual light of what the real problem is, it's not Republicans, it's not Democrats, it's not any of that. It's not the president and all the bad ones or good ones or whatever. Finally, comes down to the sin in our nation, and we can't have a secular solution. 
Because that will never... It might work for a few years or delay it, but it's never the solution. That's what they were going for. And what does God say? Trust in Me. And I think that's what He's telling us here tonight. Just trust in Him. It's okay. Isn't this comforting to us? Serve Him with all. I have a hard time Desire, if you have His truth and you really want that truth, you live it out. And does that mean we're going to be perfect in it? No, but it's going to mean that. One line in there, right at the end, it says, um, "Don't follow after uh, other things that are not profitable." Right. You know, like mm, politicians. (laughs) You know, don't worry about them. That's right. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we take, I know it's already late, why don't we take a few minutes here and if you have anything on your heart, we have Thanksgiving come too, we have a lot to be thankful for, but uh, what 